Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 110 of Beer Now This is the Podcast Adjunct Series. This evening, Barrington and I are going to be chatting to some fantastic human beings. Um, something we've been uh, really wanting to get into on the pod over the years, and we never really like went deep on it, is beer education. So, you know, there are multiple um, certifications that you can get for beer to work in the industry that aren't essential. But you know, help you a lot. And uh, this evening, we're going to be focusing on Cicerone specifically. So we have some uh, very fantastic guests to guide us through all of that. So you legends, please welcome Michelle Tang and Jacob from Thank You and Baron in the building. <laughs> welcome, folks. Thank you. Hello. Great to uh, see you. That's Obviously, the, the most. Yeah. Applause I've ever been <laughs> greeted with. I'm glad that it could be us. I feel like I'm on a sitcom every time I, <laughs> I join the podcast, Craig. Right? You got to make, uh, it's got to start, you know, with some energy. We're going to have a great yeah. conversation tonight. So, Jacob, welcome back. Michelle, fantastic to meet you properly. I know we've, um, I've been following you for years. I saw in Instagram today, we spoke back in like 2017 uh, very briefly. So, it was very cool to uh, finally connect and to, to have you on. So, um, as I was saying earlier, we're going to be talking about Cicerone this evening. And uh, part of the inspiration, obviously, we've been wanting to talk about it. I just find it uh, fascinating. I've always wanted to do Cicerone and BJCP. It's always been something that's just, I figured it could take my you know, pretty average beer vocabulary to another level. Um, but uh, for folks who have been following, may be familiar with LinkUp, which is a nonprofit that uh, Jacob and I, along with our team, co-founded last year. It is a nonprofit uh, aimed at diversifying the craft beer industry because if it continues being a bunch of white dudes with beers, then goddammit, it's going to really go nowhere. So it's a real, real world problem when a tap room does not look like the outside world. And uh, something that uh, we're super passionate about, and Jacob could uh, could expand on this if you if you wish. But Cicerone happens to be one of our partners. They got on board from the very very beginning, which means a lot because we hadn't done Jack. We were just we let we had a, a good friend. Shouts to Letitia from Beer Culture out in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. She connected us with somebody at Cicerone, and they have been incredibly supportive of Link Up, uh, offering scholarships for our applicants um, for both level one and level two giving us even discounts so when we do purchase the uh, the scholarships for our applicants, you know, they're making our dollar go a little further so we can help more people. And, uh, you know, we've had some great meetings with them and they're just really kind individuals. And um, they actually planted this idea in our head. So when the opportunity came out to chat with you, Michelle, like, it kind of worked out perfect because they were like, oh, you guys should do like, you could do a podcast with some Cicerones. And so I'm like, yeah, Jake. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do that. So this kind of just worked out really well. Um, Jake, do you have anything to add to the link up context in the beginning before we get uh, down to business? Yeah, no, I think like you said, uh, what we try to do <clears> is <throat> it was it, the idea came after the Black is Beautiful initiative. Uh, and we we did it at Saint-Guerre-Baron and uh, gave away the proceeds to, uh, to a local organization. But uh, for us, it felt kind of um, uh, disingenuous to just throw money at a cause out, especially given that our industry is plagued by a lack of uh, diversity. Um, so we, 
you know, we discuss and brainstorm how could we do something to uh, to sort of help stimulate change in, in that direction. Uh, and we found out that, or we came up with the concept that through education and, you know, a recognized certification, that would be a great way uh, to get people, you know, we've, we've had people apply at the brewery, you've done the Cicerone certification level one and level two, and that's always a great look. So, uh, so it was a natural partnership there, I think. Um, and basically we, uh, we try to, get people into uh, craft beer via education through the Cicerone program. <clears throat> we try to promote uh, available jobs in the brewery uh, through our job board, The Plug, and try to link all the all of that up to hopefully uh, affect change in a positive way. Well said. Exactly, exactly it. So with that context, this evening, uh, Michelle, you are going to be walking us through your career and uh, the whole, you know, your Cicerone journey and beer education in general. But before we do, you have uh, kindly provided a, uh, a heralded beer, something that uh, every beer lover is excited to get hold of. Uh, tell us what we're drinking tonight. We are drinking the 2021 Bourbon County brand stout from Goose Island. Ooh. It is a beer that is uh, very close to my heart, and I uh, couldn't think of a better way to commemorate the three of us. Uh, formally meeting for the first time um, is we are actually recording on International Stout Day. Did you know that? I did not know that. That is amazing. <laughs> Look at that. Was that intentional? Did you do that? Did you know no, that? No, you know, no. I just uh, it, it popped up on my calendar today that it's International Stout Day, so it's a great day. Any day is a good day, right? So uh, to stuff. open a bottle of this. Um, so we're opening. 2021 from last year. We're also uh, on the brink of releasing uh, the 2022 vintage, uh, which gets released every year on Black Friday. Uh, so this is a beer that gets released on one day of every year, and that's on Black Friday. Um, when it first being first started being sold on Black Friday in Chicago, uh, where the where the brewery and the barrel house is. Um, you know, you would see these lineups of people all down the street. They're not waiting for televisions or couches or whatever else people line up for on Black Friday. They were lining up for this particular beer. So uh, it gets released one day of the year. Every year, it's a different blend. Um, every vintage is fairly unique uh, based on the bourbon barrels that they are aged in and for the length of time and the blend itself. Um, there's also a number of different variants and proprietor blends that get introduced year over year, but we are trying the original. Uh, so this is uh, from 2021 vintage. This particular vintage has been aged in Buffalo Trace, Heaven Hill, and Wild Turkey Barrels. It, uh, I believe, was successful enough of a blend that that is what the uh, 2022 uh, vintage was also uh, aged in that particular blend of three types of bourbon barrels. Uh, but it has a great history of really being the pioneer of bourbon barrel aging beer. Um, this started in the early 90s uh, when uh, Greg Hall, who's the son of the founder of Goose Island, John Hall in Chicago, was at a dinner with Booker No, uh, who is a legend when it comes to uh, the bourbon industry, and um, by the end of the dinner and a few drinks in, they decide that they should find a way to collaborate together 
And, uh, and then weeks later, they found delivered to the brewery a number of bourbon barrels. Mm. And, uh, and so the brewery decided to brew an imperial stout uh, to age. And this was, again, unheard of right now. You know, bourbon barrel aged beers can be found from craft breweries um, from coast to coast. But this was at a time where it's never really happened before. Right. Uh, so they brewed an imperial stout, aged them in those couple of barrels. Uh, and then they were so pleased with what they had created and how unique it was and how rich and distinctive it was that they had um, entered it into the Great American Beer Festival, into the Imperial Stout category. And uh, because this had never been done before and because all the bourbon characteristics and the barrel-aged characteristics that are introduced into the beer do not fit the adherence to the style of the Imperial Stout, they couldn't possibly win, even though it probably was one of the most interesting, unique, and high-quality beers that was judged on that panel. So I couldn't win in the category that I was entered in, but did end up winning an honorable mention um, and really paved the way, as Goose Island as a brewery has, uh, in developing this particular style and, and inspiring brewers across the country and ultimately around the world to age in bourbon barrel. So it continues to get brewed and blended every year. The barrel warehouse in Chicago is now massive. Um, I bet. Many of those barrels devoted to bourbon county stone in particular, but also a number of other, their sour sister beers, uh, lots of beers that are, uh, are, are being aged um, with Britannomyces, including uh, Goose Island Sophie, which you may be familiar with, Farmhouse yes. Style Ale. Great, uh, great beer, that yeah. Fantastic beer that um, is uh, aged in oak barrels with Brett um, and about 40 pounds of orange peels for every barrel. So that barrel warehouse has tons of beers in it, but um, several of them devoted to... Um, bourbon barrels that are aging beers that are meant to be blended for each vintage of bourbon county stout. So this one I love. I tried it for the first time almost about a year ago. And I remember distinctly when I tasted it that I knew that it would probably be even better in about a year or so. Um, We often find that they do come out running out of the gate. I mean, they're great to drink as is. If you get your get a chance to have your hands on a on a bottle of it of the current vintage, they're great to drink now. But if you have the fortitude and the patience and the space to hang on to it, uh, I highly recommend it as well. Okay. It runs off a little bit of the heat and brings out a little bit more of some of those sweeter characteristics. This one I love for a little bit of that kind of... um burnt sugar, burnt brown sugar, a little bit of that kind of um, caramelized, burnt caramelized crust on the edges of a bread pudding. I like that kind of characteristic. It comes out a little better too. That's such a good taste. Um, Dark chocolate, bit of vanilla. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's uh, I mean, in saying, that it didn't qualify at was it GAB, uh, GABF that it didn't qualify but then went on to completely change the category is just like a testament mm-hmm. to the uh, 
you know, the ingenuity of uh, blending these things. And I mean, this is probably a beer that unlike the American Mount Rushmore of beers, you know, I think of like Sierra Nevada Ales, like a, a trailblazing beer. And this is definitely something that completely changed the way we approach uh, Imperial Stouts and what what the possibilities are with this style. And the bottle also, myself being a marketing guy, uh, the bottle is just absolutely phenomenal. Whenever uh, you did the rebrand, it's just such a such a cool looking uh, presentation for such a great beer. Yeah, it's a, it's a stunning bottle. It's really special. I mean, it's been, I've been aging bottles of Bourbon County Stout um, from about 2014 on. And the first variant that I had or the first vintage I ever had was 2014. And I remember at that time, I think someone went on vacation and at that point they were, they bottled them in, in 12 ounce bottles and uh, and and it was I mean it was scarce. We hadn't brought it to Canada yet at that point. Um, you really could only get it if you bought it on a Black Friday. You lined up on a Black Friday, and somebody brought it back from vacation. We had one bottle, and we shared it between three of us. And I remember it was almost ritualistic. Like we, it was a ceremony for us mm-hmm. to, you know, split that bottle between three of us. And I think we spent mm-hmm. you know half an hour together nursing it and reflecting on it and swirling it and smelling it and savoring it and how special that experience was to be able to try something that was that really you know had it was really was just incredibly special so um you know i've had the opportunity to you know visit the barrel house over the years i've had the opportunity to you know be able to keep a bottle of every vintage since 2014 but i always want to keep in check you know, how it felt the very first time and how special that first time was that, you know, as you spend more time in craft beer and you have the privilege to be able to taste lots of new things and, um, you know, form opinions about them and, and uh, you don't want to get so jaded to forget that how special it was at the beginning. And so to me, every time I open a bottle of this, I try to remind myself about that, that this is uh, that this is something that's very special. This is something that not everyone can make and not everyone gets to try. So mm. cheers to both of you that we get yes. to try this together this evening. It's Thank you. Yeah. I used to go through uh, quite a bit of trouble to trade for, uh, for 2014, 2015 vintages. I think I have a wine still kicking around in the cellar. Like you said, it, it was such a special beer and, and one of a kind almost. Um, and it's important not to lose fact, you know, as breweries grow and beer becomes more available, sometimes uh, uh, people um, uh, misconceive availability with quality or, you know, so uh, this is definitely one that uh, that's always fun to whenever it releases every year, just grab, you know, whatever whatever we have access to and uh, enjoy it every year. So uh, I was very, very pleased to find out that this is what we were uh, going to be drinking. So thank you very much. Yes. Um, the, the first one I ever lined up for, first Black Friday I ever lined up for was in 2015. And I, uh, it's the only time I've ever lined up for anything on Black Friday. <laughs> and I showed up at five, five in the morning oh, in wow. mid-November in downtown Toronto. Um, I believe there was only, this was the first time it was ever brought to Canada and there was only about 200 bottles and I showed up and I was the second in line 
Um, wow. I still, I, and I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still sitting on those ones. Those are still sitting in the cellar. So, uh, it's, it's the only thing I've ever thought that was worth lining up for on a black Friday. That's for sure. Um, but we're very lucky very that these, um, that, that these are now not just in Toronto, um, the 2022 vintage, which will get released this year, uh, this month, um, I believe will be, uh, coming to Vancouver, Montreal, uh, Toronto and Halifax. Very cool. How can I think we get some in Ottawa as well, if I'm not mistaken? It yeah. might be just a yeah. few bottles, and you know, it's a shit show, but uh, <laughs> they're they're there for uh, to be picked up for those who are yeah. willing to line up. I think. Yeah, if people- you're in Ontario, it's um, yes. if you're in Ontario, it will be on the LCBO online. <laughs> um, oh, so okay. it is. Uh, I, I definitely get your get everything lined up on the, on the computer, <laughs> um, uh, in time to, uh, to purchase that online. Um, there also will be a few, I believe on-premise accounts, um, across, uh, Canada. So there will be a few restaurants and bars that, uh, that will be pouring kegs of it. And if you are in Toronto, the Goose Island Brew House on the Esplanade will also be hosting a special event, um, where you'll be able to, uh, I believe it's a 20, 21, and 22 flight uh, of, uh, of Bourbon County that you'll be able to try if you're, if you're local in Toronto. Um, and then there'll be um, several retail shops in those major cities that I mentioned. Uh, so we're doing our best to you know, try to share what's so special about this with as many people as we can across Canada. I love that. It, is it? And uh, sorry, Craig, you were no, talking no. earlier. Sorry, I just want to because you were talking about the massive barrel room over at Bourbon County in Chicago. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there's like a cool video on YouTube that runs about 45 minutes, 15 minutes, uh, and it talks about the process of uh, selecting barrels for each year's blend. Uh, so I think I watched that maybe like five or six years ago, and it was just like yeah. what, like beautiful shots and everything. But it, I mean, you can't overstate how massive that barrel room it really is. Yeah, it's called um, it's Grit and Grain, uh, which is the video series on YouTube that's free to watch. I believe it's a seven or eight part series. So if you've got you can watch them in parts, or you can you know spend an hour or two and and, and breeze through it. But it goes through every single step of the origin from the cooperage where those barrels get made into those bourbon distilleries. Um, even, even with the, um, there's, there's a, a coffee, um, version of it, a variant of bourbon County stout, and they actually go and visit the coffee farms. Um, and, uh, and, and where they, you know, they, they harvest and, and roast those coffee beans. Um, so really dive, into what makes it so special and the roots of, you know, the craftsmanship, the artisanship and the agriculture that goes into, you know, creating something like this. So I highly recommend it. It's a great watch. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. Um, the, for those, just to last question on the availability, which is very cool because this podcast will be coming out next week. So it'll be a couple weeks before people can drop. So it's very good timing. Um, in Canada, do we get multiple variants or is it the straight up and down bourbon barrel age? Cause I know there is a, a handful or a dozen or something. Yeah. 
different ones? Uh, so for this particular release, it'll be just the original, uh, the original Bourbon County Stout Blend for the 2022 vintage. Uh, if anything special in terms of variants or proprietor blends that come down the pipe, usually they'll be found at the Goose Island Brew House in Toronto. Love it. Um, yeah, so it'll be uh, in retail in Vancouver. Um, I've in Ontario, it'll be through the LCBO. There'll be a few retail stores in Montreal, Trois Rivières, and Gatineau, uh, in Quebec, uh, and then a few retail stores in uh, in Halifax as well. Uh, and then in each of those cities, there'll be a very small amount of. Uh, of on-premise accounts that will probably get a keg or two to pour starting on Black Friday. So best way to uh, keep an eye on if it's coming to your town or where you can find it is um, is following Goose Island Canada on Instagram. Love it. Love to hear it. I'm excited. Uh, didn't realize. I totally forgot that it comes out Black Friday. That's amazing. It always sort of felt – I just moved to Hamilton from Montreal like three months ago. So – I'm used to not being able to get it. And I was like, oh, I see all the people in Toronto lining up to get it. And I was like, oh, man, we never do. So now very happy to hear from the Montreal folks that they do it. And the S- if it's through the stores or the SAQ used to always do um, – I'm not sure if you ever did it, Jacob, but they had um, – they used to do like a lottery. So if you wanted like Cantillon or they did these drops and you went in the lottery, mm-hmm. um, it, do they do it? Is it like just first come, first serve, kind of like it drops at 10 p.m., make sure you're on there with your credit card and blah, blah, blah? Or is it like a, the lottery system? With the LCBO, it is, I believe. So LCBO is just first come, first serve um, with um, with what's available there. Uh, and then I believe with the retail store, same thing. So if you are eager to get it, um, you know, to make Don't sure you're there bright and early on, on the Friday. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I want to just finish up any more tasting notes for this beer because this is uh, spectacular. Um, did you have – I know you were talking through – we started talking through. I think we got a little – we went on tangents as we do here. Um, was there anything else you wanted to sort of just add? Uh, I mean, I'm getting a bunch of like this vanilla oak. Um, so I'm like, even maybe is it licorice or tobacco kind of, cause it's that real dark leathery kind of, uh, vibe in there. Um, mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. I'd say, um, a little bit of kind of like that dark roast in the coffee that will come out there. Um, a little bit of the licorice is coming out as well too. Yes, um, definitely. Yes. It's got definitely from, from a chocolate characteristic, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like dark chocolate, but it's got almost like, um, like a fudge characteristic to it as well. Like a caramel fudge, yeah. uh, characteristic to it. Um, and then like real vanilla. So like, you know, far from extract, but like just actual like real vanilla comes out through that barrel. Um, and I just really love that kind of um, crusty burnt, you know, like panela sugar kind of characteristic to it, like demerara sugar. Um, I find that kind of really came out, it came out a year ago when I had it, you know, in, in 2021. And it's definitely like still there as like on, on the top note, which I really like. That's great. I love it. Um, yeah, this is spectacular. I, I've only had it maybe two or three times ever since I've been into beer, I guess, in the last decade or so. So it's really nice to be able to sort of sit here and sit on the glass and not drink anything else and just like let it go. And I was saying to you guys earlier, and I imagine this will be interesting throughout the conversation, it's going to change as the beer warms too. So I imagine, are, are there any specific characteristics or shall you just like when we sip and if something pops up, do you want to just mention it? Because I imagine you've, you've had it before and you kind of know where it's going to go. 
Um, yeah, it'll definitely transform, you know, over the next hour, you'll probably pick up uh, a few things out of it. I find um, those more kind of nuanced and earthier characteristics come through a little bit later, once you kind of adapt and acclimate to more of those like sweeter characteristics or the sugar characteristics or the caramel and the, and the, and the chocolate. So um, you'll find a little bit more of that tobacco come through actually is a fantastic pairing with a cigar. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, considering that uh, some of that, you know, or those earthy kind of tones will come through a little bit later, but yeah, great pairing with, um, I mean, obviously your, your, your classic pairings with Imperial Stout. So it is going to go great with like your chocolate cakes and your donuts and desserts, but you know, goes really nicely with a nice cigar too. Love it. For the sophisticated folks out there here for <laughs> yeah. it. Um, that's amazing. So let's get into... The beer education side. So first of all, I'd love to hear, Michelle, about uh, your personal like trajectory, like how you first discovered craft beer and then how that led you know, for you to actually follow this as a career path and the Cicerone and the, the whole works. Yeah. Um, uh, so I started in the kitchen. That really was what I thought I was going to do with my life. Um, that was you know, what I had studied and I was working in the kitchen and – I remember one day after shift, we went to uh, a craft beer bar, and this was before there was, you know, tap rooms or craft breweries in Toronto. Um, and uh, if you got your hands on anything that wasn't domestic, it was usually um, you're trying like European import. And uh, there was one place, and and I remember going in there and asking for something pretty basic, and they, you know, and certainly didn't make me feel bad about it. In fact, they said, you know, if this is what you like, we don't have that, but let us introduce you to something that's probably pretty similar and hopefully is what you'd enjoy. And they poured for me Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And that was the beer that changed my life. <laughs> um, and that is, that is, uh, I was really lucky. That was a beer that, that really changed everything for me. It changed the way that I thought about beer and what beer could be. Um, yeah. Paid a lot for it. <laughs> Uh, you know, cause those, in, in those days, um, those were like direct, like private ordered directly from the brewery to right. get them, you know, through the LCO. Yeah. I was going to say that wasn't a beer that was available <laughs> on tap pretty mm -hmm. much anywhere. Yeah. I, I don't even remember seeing it. I, mind you, I'm in Quebec, but, uh, it's not something I see on tap at a bunch of places. Mm -hmm. Uh, even traveling, I've seen, you know, Lagunitas now and more and more, you know, American and breweries abroad uh but for for uh, such a <clears throat> legacy beer like sierra nevada mm -hmm. pale ale i'm wondering like yeah it must have okay. been private orders a keg yeah. here and there kind of yeah. thing yeah there was a real commitment to if you really wanted to i mean i don't believe ontario had general distribution of sierra nevada until about 20 2015 i think um so up until then, and there really was only one place in Toronto you could get it, which was the Beer Bistro. There was a real commitment um, to building relationships. It was the first place in Toronto you could get Cantillon. It was a, you know, one of the first places you could get, you know, AP or where you could get New Belgium. Like, and really anything, there was a real commitment to building relationships with directly with those breweries um, and bringing those products across the border and through our systems to be able to sell 
uh, you know, that came with a price. It was an $8 bottle of Sierra Nevada that I got pretty, um, pretty hooked on, on, uh, on visiting after shift and, and, and having that beer, but it really was the beer that changed and everybody has one, right? Everybody has the beer, you know, not, it's not going to be bourbon candy stuff for everyone. (laughs) Um, and, and rarely it ever is right. But there is going to be the opportunity and a moment of truth where every consumer can change their perception of what beer can mean to them. Um, you know, what a realization of the craftsmanship that can be involved with beer. And that was mine. And it was a very positive experience. And, uh, you know, I, I, I took that with me as more of just a personal interest. I, I became more interested in trying different beers, definitely trying more beers of or like traditional styles and origins. Um, Belgian, German, you know, English, and started visiting breweries. And my career had been going through transition at the time. I moved from the back of house into the front of house. I was managing beverage programs. I was running restaurants. And I saw this opportunity for me to learn more about beer. And it really was where my heart was going to. You know, I, I you know, spent a lot of time with spirits and cocktails and beer and, and wine. And beer really was my favorite, one, because of the people really was that, you know, sense of camaraderie and there was a lack of pretension. Um, and this was still when craft was very young. So it hadn't built up a lot of the pretension that it's, <laughs> that it's come to, to have, but, um, it, it seemed like a place where I wanted to, you know, develop myself and learn a little bit more and again, create the kind of experiences for other people like the Sierra Nevada did for me. And, uh, and that led me to pursuing my certified Cicerone in 2013. That was at a time when there was oh, wow. very few of them in Canada. Yeah. And there's still very few of them in Canada. Um, but uh, I, it was, you know, I found a, a, a kind of a motley crew group there. We had came from all different backgrounds. Um, you know, there was, a, um, you know, somebody who was in, in, in wine, uh, a couple people who worked in beer retail, some beer enthusiasts, home brewers, uh, chef, and myself, and kind of banded together, you know, and 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 studied and devoted my time after work to pursue that with, um, you know, very little guidance because at that time there was very few cicerones. It, the program was still very much like a mystery to everybody of what this exam entailed and and uh and how to prepare for it um so you know i really devoted to kind of understanding that i think this was the direction that the industry was going in so i knew it was a good professional choice for me but i also saw an opportunity for somebody like me um to have this tool this asset in hand to not just grow my own career, but to find a place in this industry. And, you know, this, when I'm, when I'm asked for advice by women or people of color who want to enter the industry, um, you know, that I, I make no illusions that the industry in its current state is fair and equitable. But I will say, and and this was advice that my father gave me a long time ago, which was that if you have education and if you have credibility, that is something that no one can take away from you. Mm. Um, You know, I think 
the industry has been uh, has been very disadvantageous for for women and people of color and and people from all different marginalized communities to take away their opportunity to take away their passion, take away inspiration for them to believe that beer is a place for them. The one thing that people can't take away from you is if you've put the work and the sweat to develop yourself and have that education and to have that knowledge that you can't take that away from me. Um, and that was going to be my sword. That was going to be my tool to navigate my way through the industry. And I'm really lucky because there are not a lot of women who have, you know, found their way and navigated their way through the industry and have stayed here. Um, and, uh, and the only thing that I can owe it to is one, just a lot of luck. Um, but two is that, you know, I invested in my education to get here. So that is, you know, on, on the theme of talking about beer education is my goal is to grow this category. It's to grow this industry. Um, not just in growth of, you know, volume and growth of participation from consumers across the country and have people, more people appreciate beer, um, but to better the community through education and through knowledge. That's awesome. I was going to actually ask, why did you choose Cicero? But it sounds like your father's advice was, was had a bit of a sway on you where it was like, if I get educated, well then, like you said, no one could take that away from me. I'm going to be able to go to it essentially opens the door to many more opportunities for you for as far as where Cicero can take you. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely lots of options for education and certainly formal accreditation is not necessary. It right. is having the knowledge and being able to apply it. Um, but at that time, I, you know, I believe the options for me, one was to pursue Crudome, which I think is uh, an excellent program. In fact, I think it's a very applicable program for those that want to have the knowledge to use every day, especially if they're, you know, selling, serving in the hospitality industry for beer. Um, you know, Imperial Realm is a Canadian program, so I think that is a great option. Um, I, you know, I pursued Cicerone uh, because I felt that it had more of an international reach so that if I wanted to grow my career in beer outside of Canada, that was an opportunity for me. And also, you know, strategically knowing that there were very few of them in Canada, which um, there still is. I think at the time when I achieved my Cicerone, I was around the 40th Canadian, uh, the fourth female uh, in Canada to have the Cicerone accreditation. Now there's about 175 Cicerones across the country. So it's still um, pretty a pretty small group of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of people who have the certification in Canada. Um, and it really is, once you have it, it's what you choose to do with it. Because for the most part, and I would say I've been a sister now for nearly 10 years, I still spend almost every day of my job explaining to people what it is. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's certainly never going to become an accreditation that will be as recognized as, you know, easily recognizable as a, as a sommelier. Um, but, uh, I think there, there's been a handful of people who have achieved their Cicerone, whether it's certified or advanced or master Cicerone that have put a lot of work into using it, uh, using it to further themselves, using it to better the industry. And I think, uh, um, you know, that's, it's, it's not just having the certification, but certainly doing something with it as well.
Mm. I've been really lucky to be able to, you know, create a role for myself and what I've been doing for the last several years to be able to use this knowledge and trying to, you know, grow the industry through it. That's awesome. Have you found that it's something that's, um, that jumps out at employers um, throughout your beer journey with your Cicerone certification in hand? Was it something that was recognized within the industry or, you know, was it something that's still with employers? There was a bit of education to do or how is that? Um, well, I've had one employer since I've become a Cicerone, but I was okay. employed because I was one. Um, okay. It really... You know, it was interesting. This was at a time, and I think when craft was still, again, at an early stage, but only kind of at like the beginning of its acceleration. So 2013, 2014. Um, and, uh, and Labatt, uh, which is probably most well known for, you know, the production and distribution of Budweiser and Bud Light and Stella Artois uh, and Corona. Um, uh, but if there's anything that Labatt, as the industry leader, knows well, is knowing where the industry is going. Um, you know, it's you know we're steering the ship. You know, and and uh, and I think they they knew at the time that it was going to become increasingly important because it mattered to the consumer and because this was the way that the industry was moving. That um, helping consumers understand and appreciate the craftsmanship and artisanship of beer and to be able to talk about beer accurately and descriptively and for the, anybody who sells and serves our beer to be able to be equipped with the language and the knowledge and the confidence to be able to do that um, was going to be an you know important pillar of the way that we went to market and an important way to really honor the quality and, and the integrity of our, our beverages. Um, and so they were looking for somebody like me. And I was really lucky. Again, a little bit of it is luck and a little bit is knowing what you've got and using it. But, um, you know, the, it was serendipitous at the time that when I achieved my certification that, um, that Labatt was looking for somebody like me who understands the hospitality industry, who understood um, all the things that come with being a Cicerone. So it's not just understanding beer styles, but way beer and food go together, um, how to best keep and serve beer, um, you know, how beer is brewed and what it's brewed from and how that creates the flavors that develops over a hundred different beer styles that exist in the world. So all of that is part of what I do. Um, so yeah, I was really lucky that I've been one of the few cisterns in the country that's been able to take the certification and turn it into something they get to do every day. Amazing. And you mentioned before that you created the role. So like when you got, when you first were employed by Labatt, did they have, did you apply for a job and the Cicerone just helped and then you were able to kind of craft your own lane within the company or how did that journey look for you? Yeah. So I got my foot in the door into the, into beer the way many people do, which is through selling it. Um, so I was hired into a sales role, but as a sales role that was really specialized in um, developing the markets that, you know, the business didn't have a strong foothold in. So that was in high-end dining, that was in uh, uh, nightclubs and specialty beer bars, uh, places where you would normally find craft or high-end imports. And it was a playground that they hadn't spent a lot of time in and they needed um, people that had the 
uh, either knowledge of that market and just a stronger knowledge of beer to be able to, um, you know, help us to pave a way through it. So that's where I started. Um, and through that, you know, continued to work at making the case for why education was going to be so incredibly important, not just in the on-premise, but also in retail. Um, as the shelf space for beer was continuing to grow, as the number of SKUs that were going to continue to grow on the shelf. Um, you know, I think even then when I started 2014, I couldn't have imagined what the beer shelf in a retail store was going to look like in 2019, which um, I, you know, we, we like a lot of single SKUs and a lot of IPAs and a lot of difficulty for the consumer to navigate. Um, so it became increasingly important that, you know, again, being able to talk about, uh, our brands and our products in a way, and just the beer landscape of all the different styles, um, for people who sell and serve accurately and descriptively to best serve the consumer. Um, you know, as, the, as that beer landscape was rapidly evolving. Uh, so I made a very strong case for why that education was so important, why it was really important to educate our team so that we had a really credible and knowledgeable sales force, how anybody who basically touched our beers, whether it was a server or a bartender or a retail sales employee, um, needed to be equipped with the knowledge and the confidence to be able to sell beer, um, you know, to not just sell our beer, but to sell beer against wine and sell beer against spirits and cocktails. And as RTD continues to grow as well, um, the only way we can do that is to be able to talk about the product in a way that's meaningful to the consumer. And that comes from a place of knowledge and education. Mm, I love that. So then you're doing the sales role. Okay, Jake, you go, man. Yeah, no, like I'm wondering, so since then, how has your role evolved uh, with Labatt, like, is it, uh, what's your, your day, you know, nowadays, like, and what brought you the, the different sort of steps to, to lead there? Um, I, I mean, it, it changes from day to day and it certainly changes from year to year as the business continues to evolve and our industry continues to evolve. Um, certainly changed a lot through the pandemic, um, and uh, so I would say we started out really focusing on talking about, especially with our craft brands, about beer styles and how to define beer styles, how to differentiate beer styles, how to um, really understand the craftsmanship that went into to beer and what made beer special. And then that had... Um, evolved into as we acquired more craft breweries into our business. So at that time, the only one we had was Goose Island, but then we brought Mill Street into our family and Archibald and Stanley Park and Banded Peak. And, uh, and there was a greater opportunity to talk about beer and brewing and craft and styles. Um, and then what became increasingly important was the way that beer interacted with food. And so much of my role became... Um, integrating that culinary background that I had into and the passion I have for food and flavor. And that really is really, if you define what my life and my work is, is, is comes down to flavor. It's a fascination with flavor, whether it's food or whether it's, you know, wine, beer, spirits, uh, cocktails, but it, it 
big part of my role, and it continues to today, is um, is exploring beer and food together, how they talk to each other, how they interact together, how we communicate to consumers and inspire consumers to integrate beer into their meal occasion, um, how we can cook with beer, how we can pair with beer, how can we take the conversation away from wine as dominating as the beverage to be enjoyed with food. Um, and, and that led to, I mean, some of the best kind of joys of my work, which is uh, working with developing recipes um, that continues to be even more important through the pandemic as consumers were cooking at home um, and drinking at home. So it really was an opportunity to educate consumers on, again, how to pair with beer, how to cook with beer, why beer matters when it comes to enjoying your food um, and, uh, and add that to the change through the pandemic where everything became digital and virtual and on camera um, led to, uh, initiatives like, you know, doing online cooking classes, a program we called Stella Supper Club, where we got to work with chefs and teach people on how to pair beer and cook food at the same time. So, um, so that continues to be part of my role every day is, is continuing the conversation of beer and food together. Um, you know, today, what does it look like? It's, um, it's the food part is still a really important part of it. Um, but I think both the retail landscape and the hospitality landscape are so different now in a, you know, in a COVID recovery world. Um, when you're dealing with lots of people who are entering the industry for the very first time, um, we now have the, you know, Gen Z, you know, generation now coming into legal mm -hmm. drinking age and selling and serving beer the first time. Um, who have a completely different approach and outlook into why beer is important, if it is at all for them. Um, so the first thing we teach now isn't even why you should pour beer into a clean glass or how beer pairs with food or how beer is brewed. Um, the, the challenge now, the challenge in today, 2022, is why anybody should give a shit about beer. <laughs> and why they should care about that knowledge and why they should care. And so it really is trying to tap into and resonating with people who are coming into the industry, why beer is special and why they should care. And if they, we can find a way to get them to care, whether it is, you know, appreciating, respecting the craftsmanship and, and, and the hard work of the brewer, um, whether it is trying to tap into an appreciation or the historical significance of beer, or whether it's tapping into flavor and experience and inspiring the guest or inspiring the customer that comes into the store. So we have to find a way to really cross this bridge and inspiring people again to understand why beer is important before they can even give enough of a shit to learn about beer you know, the best way it can be served or the best way we talk about it. So I, I would say my role changes year over year. I take on new projects. The, the industry looks a little different, especially, you know, it's been a really exciting decade of my life where the beer industry has rapidly changed and our business has rapidly changed. Um, you know, our portfolios has grown as many breweries have bringing in RTDs and seltzers and sodas into their portfolios. Um, 
you know, craft breweries are and we are as well. So I've extended my knowledge capabilities also. So, you know, I'm now certified in spirits and in wine and in cider. And you know, I spent some time learning about sake over the pandemic as well. So it's growing my knowledge base into all the new, um, you know, different pieces of the portfolio that we're introducing. It makes me more qualified, makes me more credible. It's been a lot of fun for me to learn and expand my, my, my knowledge and capabilities as well. And then transferring that to our business and our sales force. But this has been probably the biggest challenge and change where is figuring out a way to bring education to people who sell and serve beer and bridging that gap. Cause it used to be, we would come through the door. The first thing you would learn about beer is learn about the ingredients, learn about the brewing process, learning about, you know, keeping and serving in glassware and cleanliness, learning about the principles of beer and food pairing. Those we believe are still the foundations that if you work in any capacity in selling, serving, marketing, beer, those are all things you should, those are the basics that you should know. Um, now for us, that's, that's phase two. Phase one is now trying to tap into why that even matters and why it matters to, you know, to growing and selling beer in this industry and how it creates better experiences for the consumer. Um, it's, you know, I go back to that survival moment. We all have it. We all have the moment. It's like, how do we create the next generation of people who are going to create those moments for more people to invite more people into the beer category, to invite more people to participate in beer, to be inspired and excited about beer. And we can't get consumers in the door to be excited about beer until we can get the people who are selling and serving beer to also feel passionate about it as well. So it's, it's a new challenge. It's like, it's a, it's definitely a new one. Like I, I don't feel old, but I definitely have been in the industry now um, uh, I, for some time. And I would say the crossover of Gen Z's coming into the legal drinking age, Gen Z's coming into selling and serving and coming into the hospitality industry has been a huge gap for us to figure out how can we get people excited and inspired about beer again? Hmm. Is it the, the consumer habits you find have changed or um, are they, are they reaching for something else? Are they drinking less? Is like, what is, have you been able to identify really what's been the, the factor that, you know, sort of changed what seemed to be generations of loyalty to beer, so to speak. And um, yeah. So I don't yeah. know if you've so what's been true for change. what's been true for the last several several years about consumer is the growing need for choice. So there's no longer just a lager drinker, or there's no such thing as just a craft drinker or a wine drinker, right? You're you're this has been true probably and been growing pre-pandemic, but that um, that a single consumer, single drinker, can love drinking, you know domestic lagers, but also can love drinking craft beer. They will also love drinking seltzers. They will also love drinking wine. And they will also, you know, consider taking two to three days off a week from drinking alcohol at all. Right. So there's no such thing as now this is a non-alcoholic drinker, or this is somebody who only drinks sodas and seltzers, or this has always been a wine person. But I think what the consumer now needs is this breadth of choice. 
Um, you know, their, their needs are not so singular, you know, you're still going to have what we call loyalty drinkers or legacy drinkers. It's, they're going to drink their Budweiser from, from now until, you know, eternity. Um, but you know, you have craft drinkers and we would consider the wet craft, the connotation wet craft drinkers used to mean were people who drank, you know, independently brewed ales while well, independent breweries now brew lagers that taste a whole lot like domestic lagers brewed by macro breweries, right? So, you know, there's, you can have somebody who goes to a ball game and loves to drink a a Budweiser, a Bud Light, and then go home and has a bunch of, you know, you know, beers they picked up from their local brewery and they'll go to the cottage and crush a couple of neutrals and, you know, take Monday, Tuesday off from drinking beer. So they'll have a bunch of non-alcoholic beers and Bud Zeros in their fridge. So that's a consumer we're dealing with now, which is, again, making the case for why anybody who is working in this industry to be thoroughly knowledgeable um, it is not just sure. knowing the selling points of your particular brand. It is now understanding um, the ins and outs of different types of you know, alcohol. So now it's, you know, the challenge of somebody who sells uh, in this industry is now having a knowledge for non-alcoholic products as well as spirit-based products or malt-based or TV products. Um, And even sometimes, you know, having a knowledge of wine and also of cider. Um, And, uh, and so the breadth of knowledge that's required now to do well in this business in order to grow it is really important. So education is increasingly important. Um, And then also more knowledge about the consumer. So understand consumer, understanding the need Mm -hmm. states, understanding the occasions for which they're shopping or drinking for so that you can match the right product, not just beer, but the right product to the right consumer for the right place and the right time. Um, so that is, that's kind of where we're at now. It's just become, uh, you know, the, the growing complexity of it. So somebody who is a, a sales rep, whether they're a sales rep for a macro brewery or a sales rep for a craft brewery, they're out there selling hop water, non-alcoholic beers, and they're now selling seltzers, they're selling beer, they're selling ales, they're selling lagers. Um, so anybody who sells and serves needs to have that knowledge in order to continue to grow all those different segments of the overall category. Um, but it's also having an understanding of the consumer, understanding the reasons that they're shopping if they're going into retail. So understanding, you know, the reasons for their trip, uh, understanding the way they shop, understanding what they're shopping for, the occasions they're shopping for, understanding how beer goes with food so you can pair the right product for that particular meal. Um, it's again, making the case for why it's so important to continuously, continuously develop um, anybody who wants to be in this industry with more knowledge. So because the industry itself has gotten more complex because Mm. the consumer has. Yeah. This is so fascinating. I didn't really think about that. Um, On the Gen Z side. So the consumer stuff is like, that makes complete sense that people are drinking the, the, like you're saying, there's no like loyal, I'm a bud guy, this is what I drink, or whatever. That's kind of gone out the window for the most part, maybe stuck with the boomers. For the Gen Z, though, because it's something that we talk about a lot with, for all elements of them, uh, of, of Gen Z, and you know, just sort of studying and thinking about like 
habits. You know, why are a lot of Gen Z? Sorry, guys, if anyone's listening, to Gen Z, but why are a lot of Gen Z employees kind of shit? Like, why do they? There's this entitlement and, and these different kind of vibes. So when you, they're coming in to beer, this is something I never thought about. What? Why do you think they like? You have to say this is why you care about beer. Like, why do you think they're coming into beer not caring about it whatsoever, or at least sort of working in a serving situation? and not caring or not knowing about beer? I'm certainly not an expert on, on, on the insights around, you know, around the consumer, especially in that generation. So this is definitely, you know, from anecdotal and I've definitely been <laughs> that works. asking a lot of questions um, about it. Uh, this is certainly a generation where, um, where we're drinking as a social occasion. Um, it, I wouldn't say is irrelevant. It just resonates with them in a different way. Hmm. Um, this is a generation that certainly, you know, wears, you know, I think for, for millennial, the sober curiosity is like, is something that, you know, we dabble with where we're like, okay, I'll try, you know, take a month off sober October or like dry January or I'll, you know, do Monday to Wednesday without drinking. It's kind of this dabbling with it. And sometimes we still feel uh, a sense of um, insecurity or, or trepidation around, you know, not drinking in social occasions where where it's typically expected. I think this is a generation where that if you chose to be sober or you know chose occasions to be sober, where it is absolutely 100% accepted. Um, so part of it is is why should we drink? Is it required? Um, you know, to you know create the occasion. Or the or the vibe of, if you wish, of what they're trying to, you know, curate for themselves. Um, you know, in terms of how they make decisions and make choices, I'm still, you know, really trying to dive into, you know, figuring it out. Um, but you know, the the values and the motivations are certainly very different from what we have grown up experiencing. So, I think if we want to. Uh, you know, I think that is a generation that we need to pay attention to and understand what resonates with them. But the other one is also the aging population too, right? Mm. So you do have, you know, great deal of our population, um, you know, growing into, you know, over, I think the, the bracket's over 50. So a huge chunk of our population is going to be over 50 and they are exploring not drinking for other reasons, which has more to do with like, health and wellness and, you know, longevity. Um, But they're certainly not uh, uh, shy about, you know, having the experience and understanding what it means to, you know, include, um, you know, beverages, adult beverages as part of their, you know, consumption. Um, So it is more about, I would say, quality, not quantity. You know, how do we pick the right drink for the right meal and savor that and experience that? Um, it's, again, it, the education part of it is we have to know all the products that we have and all the ways that we can talk about them so that they resonate and they make sense and they're meaningful to all the different consumers out there that are able to drink alcohol. So mm-hmm. it's again, complex, increasingly complex. Yeah. As much as you need to consider Gen Z and how they're changing, we have to consider, you know, 50 plus in that generation, how that's changing. And then also even within the brackets of millennials and Gen Xers ourselves, we're changing too. And a whole world changed after the pandemic. 
and everybody's oh, yeah. values and motivation for change. So a lot of this is, is you know, made everything much more complex, um, but again, continues to make the case for why, you know, we continue, you know, here's the thing, nobody stopped drinking beer over the pandemic, but we may be finding different generations drink beer for different reasons. And then one thing I can root down to of hopefully it makes sense and it's meaningful to anybody is that it doesn't matter who you buy your beer from or where you buy your beer from. And it doesn't matter how big or small the brewery is that brewed it. The brewing process is the same everywhere. The brewing process is the same in every continent. The brewing process is the same in every brewery of every size and brewing is fucking hard. And a lot of people work incredibly hard to make beer Pretty much any beer that's sold commercially has to go through so many quality checks and balances that you can be rest assured that anything that leaves a brewery is drinkable and pretty fucking good. So all these ways from the time it leaves a brewery to the time it lands on somebody's dinner table when they pick it up from the shelf from a retail store or it lands in front of them at a bar or on a table when they go out to eat or drink is the million ways that we screw up something that's really good, you know, whether it's through packaging or handling or service or dirty draft lines, um, you know, all those different ways that we need to protect the beer on top of the way that how we talk about it to the consumer, right? So are we talking about beer in a way that's accurate and descriptive so that anybody who's trying a beer for the first time is experiencing the way that it they deserve to experience it they're experiencing the way that the brewer intends for them to enjoy it the brewer intends for the consumer first time or long time you know consumer of that of that beer the brewer expects it to be fresh the brewer expects it to be protected from bacteria from light you know from age you know all the things that we owe it to a brewer who works really hard to make a really good beer um, so that, you know, if they're trying that beer for the very first time, that that could be the beer that changes the way they think about beer for good or for bad, the moment of truth. So when I'm continue to kind of go out there and fight the fight of talking about beer and educating people about beer and why it's important to know about it, that's who I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for the brewer because they work really hard and we have to protect the integrity of that beer. And secondly, I do it for the guest or that consumer, the person who takes home the beer or the person who's ordered it and it comes to your table and it comes to your seat at the bar. We owe it to those two people to make sure that everything that happens in between, the way we talk about it, the way we sell it, the way we package it, the way we handle it, the way we pour it through a line, that all of those things require a knowledge about that liquid in order to preserve the integrity of it for the brewer and for the guest. Hmm. So that's that why that you it. basically get it in the hand of the consumers and present it exactly the way the brewer intended it when he create he or she created that beer, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens in both a retail level where, you know, if you're you're somebody who works in retail, who's just trying to who loves who loves a double IPA <clears> and <throat> just wants to get in the hands of everybody. And then you have people who, you know that double IPA is not going to pair with what they're going to have for dinner that night, or that double IPA is just not the style of beer that they expected and what they're going to enjoy. Then we've created a negative experience, mm. right? Negative moment of truth. Right. So yeah. 
ultimately, what does that what does that do? Well, that person who bought that beer may never purchase something from that brewery again, or they may just never purchase beer again. And again, we are here in the effort to continue to grow the category, right? To grow, you know, more participation and inclusivity into this into this category into beer. Yeah. What what happens if we are uh, sitting at a bar and your server or bartender <clears throat> doesn't know the language to talk about this particular beer accurately, descriptively? They describe it in a way using, you know bullshit words because they didn't really know what to say. Right. right. And again, you know, not accurately depict what a brewer's worked really hard to create. Right. And brewer has yeah. like taken, you know, great pains to make specific decisions, to make a beer taste a specific way. And if you can't honor that by, you know, talking about it in a way that's accurately and descriptively to inform the guest of what they're going to expect or how it's going to pair well with their occasion or with their meal. And again, we create a negative moment of truth and we've either mm -hmm. turned somebody away from drinking beer again or drinking from that brewery or drinking at your establishment. Mm -hmm. So this is why it's important, right? This is when we talk about like, why, why do I feel like there's a purpose to what I do? That's why it's important, right? Yeah. I want to go back to that Sierra Nevada moment. I want to create that. I want to equip as many people who work in this industry to create that, for as many people as possible. Because mm -hmm. that Sierra Nevada moment has now created 10 years of not just my participation as a beer drinker, but or more than 10 years as a beer drinker, but 10 years of, you know, a beer career. A career. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. right. So and 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 so the more that we can, you know, make sure that that we are knowledgeable. With knowledge comes confidence. With confidence comes, you know, an opportunity to mean be meaningful. To a drinker, whether they're a long-time drinker, whether they're a first-time drinker, we need to protect as many people to stay in our category, to keep drinking beer, to because one, we want more people drinking beer, we want a more diverse community of people participating in drinking beer, and we can't do that if we're not doing it the right way, mm. right? We just, you know, and again, brewers are working really hard, and we want to make sure that brewers still have a job. We want to make sure the work that they're putting into it is, and is, you know, we're in protecting the integrity of that beer and we're honoring what they do. Yeah. We, we hear a lot um, at the brewery, you know, being a small brewery of people who tell us uh, they, they thought they didn't like beer. And um, mm -hmm. that, that's always such, it just, it just shows you that we're only scratching the surface <laughs> of, you know, explaining what beer is all about, the possibilities, uh, how in talking with consumers, we can figure out if, if we chat about your tastes, we can, we can pair a beer with, you know, basically what you're telling us. And um, so we still get that a lot. So there's a tremendous amount of work in beer education to be done for, because for a lot of people, uh, their, their uh, foregone conclusion on beer is one style and one style only, but it goes so far beyond that. So, yeah. 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 So many people think that they, they're not a beer person. And so in order yeah. to convince them that like, here's the thing, you may not need to be a beer person, 
But I promise you for whatever meal you're having or occasion you're having, a beer for that exists. Why? Because there are thousands of breweries across this country. There are over a hundred different styles of beer. And in fact, most of those breweries will do something to that style of beer to make it even more interesting. And so the (laughs) options there are endless to find a beer that fits with any type of style of food or dish exists. Mm. Right. So, but Again, your opportunity to capture that consumer, to change their mind, you're not going to have the opportunity to put a flight of 10 different beer styles in front of them and try to find the one that they like, right? So we need to be meaningful in the way we want to understand them. You know, what are you, what do you want to experience? What is the occasion that you're drinking for? You know, understanding what it is they're looking for and knowing enough about beer you know, whether it is, you know, the, the flavors that are in it, the brewing process that are involved, um, you need to know enough about beer and you need to care enough about the consumer to attach those two things together and synthesize it and to create some sort of recommendation. So you have one opportunity to convince them that maybe not to be a beer person, but at least somebody who can appreciate it. So a good, a good first impression, basically, once they walk through a door of like, okay, I heard shit's good here. What do you got for me? And then, yeah, we, we probably 20% of our on-site consumers are repeat customers uh, of people who discovered that they actually did like beer. Sometimes it's a particular style. In the summer, we get tons of people through the door for fruited gozas. They had no idea um, beer could taste that way. So it's been uh, it's been an eye-opening experience for sure. So you look at that, that Sierra Nevada moment for me, right? So, you know, what they asked was, what do you normally like to drink? I think I said Keith's. So, um, you know, that was, okay, so, you know, I, I identified as, you know, a pale ale drinker, an IPA drinker of some sort. Um, you know, if the server was insistent on me trying something like, you know, that we actually at Beer Bistro carried Torpedo, right? So, you know, what if they brought me Sierra Nevada Torpedo? It's too much. That would have probably blew off my palate. And I'd be like, (laughs) that's disgusting. That's gross, right? What if I came in instead of saying Keith, I said, I actually, I'm, I'm a Bud Light drinker. If they gave me Sierra Nevada, that probably would have been, you know, could have been off-putting for me too, right? The, when they could have offered yeah. um, a Hacker Shore or a Bitburger, right? So even that simple question of what is it that you normally like to drink, right? And understanding why do you like to drink that? Well, I like to drink it because it's easy drinking. I like to drink it because it has this particular flavor. I like to drink this because I love the aroma of oranges in it. So it's understanding what the consumer wants. And again, using your knowledge of what's on the menu, using your knowledge there to kind of make you're again you're using your knowledge about beer and using you know your knowledge of what you've gained from the from the customer or from the guest and then bringing that together to create something that's meaningful for them because mm. that one sierra Nevada moment what we call again moment of truth it's really moment of truth means a single moment that could go either way mm. right so that moment yep. of truth with sierra well, nevada so. went one way that totally t- took my life and my career in a totally different place, um, you know, when it could have gone in, in a different direction. Hmm. So anybody Absolutely. in this industry, right? Anybody in this industry has the opportunity to create a moment of truth to invite somebody into a category. 
Mm. Right. And so if we make people feel bad for liking what they like, right. And again, there's a beer for everybody. There is a style of beer. There is a brand of beer. There is uh, an interpretation of a style of beer that exists for everybody. So a moment where we have the opportunity to create positive experiences and we make somebody feel bad, then we have now taken away an opportunity for us to one, grow more consumers and participation in this category and grow diversity into participation of our category. Mm. Right. So this is, again, we need to really be focused on, again, knowing as much as we can about beer. You know, if it's for anybody, do it for the brewer. If you're not personally passionate about it, do it for the brewer. And then secondly, do it for the guest or do it for the consumer. And whether they're a first-time drinker, whether they're a long-time drinker, everybody owes the, an experience when it comes to them putting money down and ordering a beer or buying a beer. This is um, this is so fascinating. I, you guys are a uh, fantastic uh, question there, Jacob, as well. Like, I was thinking as you were saying, Michelle, that like, there's a lot of time when I go out, I find that, and I'm just a podcaster. I'm not trained like you. I don't own a brewery like Jacob. I've done this for a long time, but I'm I tend to know more than most people that I would go out. So people look, and they try to explain. I'm like, oh, what's that on the on the board there? Because I'm not familiar, and then they'll explain it to me in like the real layman's term. I'm like, oh fuck, let me just get untapped out, and I'll figure it out myself. And I th- I tend to try to be equipped going to if unless it's a beer bar or a brewery. Those places typically can answer any questions that I have. If you go anywhere else, I find that the knowledge is probably, there's a bit of a gap. So with that in mind, what do you think needs to happen for these people who work in hospitality, whether it's restaurants, whether it's just a, a bar that happens to serve craft beer, um, even if it's a brewery themselves? Like what what is the, to get from sort of like this poor experience to this, Sierra Nevada moment that everybody deserves and obviously changed, literally changed your life. So this is obviously it's, it's a little dramatic, but it's actually very, very true. And you're a living example of it. What needs to be done? Like does every single person who touches beer, um, should they be looking at something like whether it's BJCP or Cicerone or or something along those lines, or is there other Mm -hmm. path to getting as many people to have that experience as possible in a, in a, uh, let's say economy, it's not really that. It's more like in a world where RT, like you were saying, RTDs are coming up, seltzers mm-hmm. are chipping away at beer. Um, there's a lot of threats to the industry and we want it to grow. Is there any mm-hmm. thoughts on sort of what, what we can do or what people need to be doing to be able to deliver these yeah. exceptional yeah. experiences? Yeah. Um, so number one, we have to bridge that give a shit gap. And do I have the answer for it? I don't have the answer for it, but I'm really trying. And um, I, I think part of it is having people who are new to the industry is to find some way to make it meaningful for them to that to appreciate beer. Um, I think one of the most effective ways for that is is meeting a brewer. I think like before, even if you are a beer fan. You know, and even if you are somebody who likes to drink beer and especially, you know, uh, uh, somebody who is an enthusiast in beer and loves to drink it, maybe doesn't work in beer and doesn't brew it themselves, um, can can really and, and, and forms opinion about it. And we're all entitled to form an opinion about a beer. But, you know, before you pour something down the drain because you don't like it, 
right? Like you have to remember that there's a human on the other side of that, right? There's somebody who made it, right? And so when I evaluate beer and I'm, you know, I'm a Cicerone, I'm BJCP judge. And when I go to our brew pubs and I have an opportunity to meet any of our brewers and I taste their beers and I do this quite often. So I'll, you know, I'll go to Goose Island, I'll go to Mill Street and I'll be, you know, I'll meet our brewers and I'll taste what they have in the tank. And the first question is that I have is what were you trying to do? And then when I evaluate the beer, then I can tell you if I think you achieved it. Hmm. Um, so you may or may not like a beer, but if you can understand what a brewer was trying to achieve and if they've done it, it doesn't matter if you like it or not, it's still a good beer. I use that example about Bud Light. You don't have to like Bud Light at all. But Bud Light is exactly what the brewer has intended to achieve it to be, right? right. Like Bud mm-hmm. Light is an achievement. Bud Light is a dictionary definition of American white lager. You know, if you want to judge it for its quality, it is exactly what it's supposed to be. It's the highest quality of that style. It is the beacon of that style. You don't have to like it. All right. So I think a lot of times it's remembering that brewing is a craft. Like we don't do this with food. You know what I mean? Like we don't, we don't, oh, I don't, I don't like this dish because it's too sp- see and you walk over to the garbage can and like toss it into the, into the bin. You don't do that. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. so part of it's just recognition of the brewer. And it's like, I, if, if I had my way, I, I think all brewers should be like recognized like rock stars. And so we try to do that. So we go to the brew pub and we try to make the brewer a real person, like a real person that's recognized. And I think if we want to really bridge that gap, I think one of the ways we can do it is have people really meet a brewer and understand what's involved and what a craft it is and what an achievement it is when we brew a beer. I think that's one way we can bridge that give a shit gap. Mm. Blue sky, what I think is required for us to create great beer experiences is the fundamentals. So one of them is like keeping and serving. It comes down to clean lines, clean glassware, right beer, right glass, always in a glass. You know, that is part of the experience. If we want to continue elevating beer, that it is treated with the same respect and the importance that wine is given, we need to stick to those fundamentals. Those create better beer experiences. If you drink that beer out of a glass, any glass, it's going to taste better than it does out of a bottle. If it's in the right glass, it's going to taste even better. If it's coming through a clean line and, you know, from the right temperature, even better. All right. So we can create better beer experiences with just the fundamentals. Add on top of that an understanding of beer ingredients and how they create flavors. Right. And even some sort of elementary understanding of process. That's not even not like my top list. But if you understand flavors, you understand process, you understand how that creates flavor. You can understand how that creates the sensory experiences, then you can understand what beer styles and what defines beer styles and what makes them different. And then lastly, how beer pairs with food, how it interacts with food, because some of the best experiences you create is that like the, the sum is, you know, greater than its parts, right? We've all had the magical beer and food pairing. Again, that's like an aha moment. That is a moment of truth. That elevates beer in this way that people are like, I can't imagine this was what beer could possibly be if you pair it with mm-hmm. the right dish. Okay? IPA with carrot cake, couldn't imagine that beer and dessert could ever do anything like that. That's like absolute fireworks and magic. Right. So blue sky, what I think is necessary and what I believe is like the, the 
what should be mandatory training, again, that's blue sky. It's not, I wish we could get this through to every single person who sells and serves beer. But if you have an understanding, one, respect of the brewer, an understanding of ingredients and how they contribute to flavors and interpret it into beer styles, how to keep and serve beer to protect its integrity so it's a better experience for the guests and how to pair it with food, you know, home run, we can create really great beer experiences that way. You know, if any, you know, retailer or a restaurant wants to give me the time and the commitment to be able to train that to their people, I guarantee you that is how we grow more appreciation for beer and how we grow the category and how we make this category more inclusive by inviting more people into it and creating good experiences. Mm. That's actually a fantastic yeah, segue. Yeah, 100% agree. That's, that's brilliant. You're talking about diversity and good experiences. Uh, my next question was going to sort of be around, obviously, you know, the mission of LinkUp is to diversify the craft beer industry, which, as we were saying earlier, is pretty integral to the, uh, I mean, it, it'll probably survive without it, but I don't believe it'll thrive without the entire mm -hmm. community coming behind beer and making it more interesting and representing the world outside because it's kind of weird to kind of walk into a brewery and it doesn't look like the street you just walked off. Um, yep. In your experience, you know, being a woman of color, being someone who is educated in beer and worked in the industry for, you know, coming up on a decade here, do you have any thoughts on the best ways? I mean, obviously through LinkUp, we're really focusing on Cicerone because that's where what's been the most popular. And we've found that education has been the bridge to for interest people interested it's it's easy enough each level is you know guess obviously gets consecutively more difficult but it's a, it's a it's a relatively simple path in the industry and you can get that education and, and foundational knowledge and then walk in and be like all right this is sick how, how do you think that we can open those doors and when i say we i mean every single person whether it's you're a drinker who just enjoys craft beer uh, whether you're a brewery owner, whether you work in a brewery, whether you work in a beer bar or a restaurant or whatever your position is and you just already have an interest in beer, like how can people, how can we as a community um, extend that invitation and, and make beer more welcoming and actually reach people? Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I, I, I mentioned it before. I think I'm incredibly lucky uh, to, you know, have uh, have a position where I get to have a voice um, uh, in the beer industry. When you look at the stories that have been so bravely shared by you know marginalized communities over the last year or two, you can see so many people who have just gone through you know traumatic and just damaging experiences that have led them out of the industry. Mm. Um, and I'm really lucky I haven't experience that. That doesn't mean I haven't had my share of microaggressions. That doesn't have my, you know, I haven't had my share of, um, of, uh, of, of experience some of the inequities um, that has, you know, favored, uh, you know, male identifying people in our industry and, 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 and white people in our industry. Uh, education, you are absolutely right, is one way that I have at the very least leveled the playing field. Mm. Right. So again, education is something that some, you can't take away from me. And that is also the other thing that levels the playing field for me in the room. Uh, it's given me credibility 
and it's given me confidence. And I've mentioned a lot with knowledge comes confidence with the, both of those things, then you can be meaningful for the consumer to help grow the category. Mm. So I think that part is important. It is recognizing that education is going to give you more confidence. And with that confidence, you can do something with it and it's going to level the playing field. But in order for us to move forward as an industry and as each brewery needs to evaluate themselves uh, independently, is that we cannot create change and we cannot move forward unless there's an acknowledgement of the failures of the system. Mm. So you can't really create change or consider yourselves being part of it unless there is an acknowledgement of how the system has failed marginalized communities and how you've participated in that system. And that requires, and I think that is a huge failure that you can't even move forward, right? You can't create change unless you've acknowledged that in the first place. And I, I, I promise you, you look across, you know, especially breweries that have been called out and involved in situations that require them to, to you know, that uh, whether their, their employees or, or consumers have demanded them to create some sort of reconciliation, so many of them just even fail to acknowledge what was done wrong in the first place. Right. Just can't move forward until we like really acknowledge the failures of the system. Just you can't like in in the hospitality industry, uh, when you screw up, uh, you drop a plate of pasta on someone's lap or you knock over a glass of champagne. Um, you know, we call it the you call call it the re- service recovery, and um, it's acknowledge, apologize, and act. It's the three A's. Right. So. You know, chances are if you can do that properly, you can actually turn around somebody what would have been a negative experience for them. So spilling champagne on their lab was probably a negative experience for them. But if you acknowledge and then you apologize and then you act, then you actually have the potential to turn that experience around to become positive, even though you've done something wrong. The failure of our industry right now is that we just can't even acknowledge what's wrong. Um, when you've done something wrong. And even if you haven't done something wrong, we've all participated in the system that has done something wrong. And then secondly, then we have to apologize and then we have to act. And uh, we can't, we're, we're in this place where of those three steps, we're still kind of stuck on that first one. So it's really important, I think, for breweries if they really want to consider themselves to be part of a change is, you know, even some of the things that are so basic, which is creating a code of conduct to protect your people, the people who work for you and the people who patronize you. Mm. Right. That's what the code of conduct's for. Um, having a code of conduct seems to be a bit of a barrier, uh, you know having an acknowledgement of the land that your brewery sits on, right? Acknowledging if you have a brewery in Canada and you're occupying space to do so, you've done so on stolen land, period. You cannot acknowledge the land that your brewery sits on, that you're profiting on, that you are serving on, that you are brewing on. If you can't even acknowledge that, you cannot consider yourselves as part of a reconciliation. You cannot consider yourself as part of moving forward and change, Right. You cannot acknowledge that this industry has systematically, you know, been in just stacked itself up against marginalized communities 
against women, against people of color, against LGBTQ, against dis- uh, those with disabilities, and against indigenous populations, if you can't acknowledge that the, brewer, that, that the brewing industry has done this, can't move forward. So I can go on, you know, how we can create change, but I really believe that we're kind of stuck in like phase one. Hmm. Right. So kind of going back, we're like stuck we're stuck at like the, the kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it has to be, that really is, I, I, you know, I, I think of every, you know, every brewer is on, you know, needs to be called on themselves to really evaluate themselves if they want to consider themselves allies to their people and allies to their consumers. Um, if they want to consider themselves part of moving the industry forward and changing it, um, you know, at its very basic core, it's acknowledging the land that your brewery sits on and having a code of conduct. That's mm. the basic, right? right? And, um, and then you've got to, you know, when you get to that third phase, which is the act, right, then you just got to walk the talk, right? And you have to really, truly live and breathe with the aim that you are operating this business and you are brewing beer with the intention for it to be for everybody, which means the way you design your brewery, the way you talk about your beer, the way you hire people, the way you manage people, um, you know, the way you serve people like that is then it permeates the entire operation. And certainly nobody is perfect at it. I think some breweries are really going to be stuck at just stalling. You know, there's, there's, there's breweries that just aren't going to get through, through the first hoop. Um, you know, a, a conversation I have a lot with, you know, uh, activists who are in our industry who are doing incredibly difficult generous work um, uh, in our industry is that I think we've all kind of come to terms with the fact that real change is not going to happen in our lifetime. We're not going to see it like this, this, this dream, this blue sky of a fully inclusive beer industry. We're going to put the work into it now, but we're not going to see the fruits of our labor. I think that's going to be for our next generation because again, this, if, this if is that systemic. Too, I mean, that's the sad part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an icicle, right? It's like it's an iceberg, right? It is, yeah. it really is like it is that is when we look at like systemic like issues in the institution that they're not going to change overnight. And any brewery that thinks they're going to change overnight, change themselves overnight, or the industry is going to change overnight, I think a lot of us want to see small wins. We want to pat ourselves on the back. We want to feel like we're part of something. But I promise you, if we really want to see like the true change and true inclusivity in this business, yes, we can have the little wins and we can chip away at it. So yes, everything that LinkUp is doing, which is, you know, again, trying to find opportunities and educational opportunities and trying to invite more people to feel comfortable, you know, working in our industry and feeling supported in our industry you know, I'm glad that there are some homes for people there to find that. But as like a whole industry, as a collective, we're so, so, so far away from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and I it's think even, uh, it's beyond the brewing industry, right? I always look to oh, music. Uh, and if I look at African-Americans from Sam Cooke to Kendrick Lamar, you realize the same issues are very much and everything in between. Uh, it's still very much the same issues. And there's been little to no progress. 
uh, it, you know, it certainly seems um, so. So, yeah, I wholeheartedly and unfortunately agree with you that I think it's it's going to take a gargantuan effort. Um, for, you know, what we're doing, what the discussions we're having are, uh, are a drop in the bucket of what needs to be done. And, uh, yeah, I fully agree with you um, on that for sure. I mean, again, the, the little wins are there, and I think we can take comfort in that. And I think we can, you know, one, find accountability in that. One, that is like for those, you know, breweries who are making the effort to be part of the change, some of them are showing their accountability there, which is, you know, yeah. through adhering to their code of conduct. Um, you know, it is, you know, through, you know, having a very focused, um, you know, hiring effort and people management effort, you know, to create inclusive practices, whether it's through their hiring, whether it's through giving them, you know, development opportunities and walking the talk, um, you know, I think the wins are there. Um, but the, like, and all of that is required for us to, like, again, steer the ship yeah. and steer, you know, a pretty, pretty massive ship that's been anchored for a long time. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, efforts like Link Up is everything that we need right now. Right. And it's like finding the breweries that walk the talk to be part of the initiative. That's what we need right now. And then that's we need those breweries to we need those breweries to hold other breweries accountable. We yeah. need consumers to hold these breweries accountable. Right. Mm. And we need to start having, you know, those moments of truth, good experiences, bad experiences. We want people to walk away from this industry or stay in this industry because the experiences are good. Right. And not through the, you know, just, you know, deplorable actions of so many people who have worked in our industry, pushing people out of it when we should be inviting people in because that's the only way the industry grows. Yeah. We noticed with link up it's such, you made some fantastic points there because when we, we found obviously when it started, we had to reach out. So we tapped our contacts, the people we knew were, were down for the cause. They were like, no doubt, let's go. After that, most of the breweries reached out to us, which really showed their dedication to it. People were asking superly, really intelligent questions, and they really just cared. And sometimes they might have come from a place of, fuck, I don't know what to do. Help me. And like, bet, let's go. Um, then we started the job board called The Plug. So if people aren't aware, we started a job board on linkupbeer.org. And the idea is what we did, and this is coming back to what you're saying, Michelle, initially i went through indeed.com i searched for brewery i saw for brasserie and we just like all right boom 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 adding old jobs in took us hours to do all of this and then jacob and i were talking and jacob said what if that brewery that we're promoting their job isn't down for the cause isn't open to a diverse workforce isn't acknowledging the issues and we're like it could be putting people in a position where they're applying for a job where maybe it's not as well, you're talking about the experience right michelle so that could have created a situation in our opinion of course that you know we could have sent an applicant to a brewery because we knew there was an available job there without necessarily making sure you know vetting the brewery to make sure that they actually believe in and what it is we're trying to do and so um yeah i think uh, we, we pulled back on that and focus more on breweries that we're reaching out to us to say, hey, we are hoping and trying to diversify our workforce. Um, Please post out. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think right now there's like a huge long list of people you shouldn't work for. 
you know, that's pretty easy to find. <laughs> like you, you know who to go to to know that these are these are you know the the breweries as workplaces that that people shouldn't be going to. I think what Link Up is going to hopefully lead the way to do is like these are the places you should go work. Not these are places right. where there's you know where where the testimonial is like I have felt supported here. I have felt you know, respected here. I have felt welcomed here. I have given the opportunities I feel invested in to be developed and be educated, you know, and, and, uh, and I think, you know, that's, that's, that's the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Because the, the list of breweries you shouldn't work at is only getting longer and longer. So what we need to also do is, you know, hopefully the list of, you know, workplaces where, you know, who are walking the talk and, 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 you know, again, are doing all the right things. They're doing the acknowledgement. They're acting in a way that is, you know, true to those values. Then we're creating those stories of, you know, positive re- positively reinforcing that there are places and good places where you will be supported, where you will be welcomed, where all people are going to be given the investment, the opportunity to be their authentic selves and to be even better. So hopefully that is, you know, the road that we're going down. And I, and I really applaud you guys for kind of creating a path for that. Appreciate you. Uh, it's a, it's an honor to be sort of involved in and to see what we could do. Once again, it's like, like the, op- like death by a thousand cuts or it's like success by a thousand wins, little wins, mm-hmm. like you were saying, small wins yeah. that are just hopefully over time, grassroots foundational level where doing exactly what you're saying show instead of, highlighting anything negative we're focusing on positive you if you're with us let's let's work let's and, and the people we've been dealing with are just always down and it's it's a i know it's very like it's a lot of joy i guess and jacob will we agree with that like i feel for all of us like to be involved in this because we know this is not some sort of like um uh, performative thing like we all know like yeah we want the you know, Jacob's a part of the industry. I'm adjacent to the industry. Michelle, you're in the industry. We want this shit to work. Like, we yeah. love it. And it's the, only, it's the only way forward. Absolutely. And one thing we try, we try to focus on as well and why we shifted from, you know, just broadcasting jobs at large and focusing on breweries that actually reach out to us is, like you said, they need to walk the talk. It needs to be like a real genuine uh, approach and intent. Um, and then one thing we're hoping that will come from this is making the brewing industry and the brewing uh, uh, culture and community less intimidating for people to come into. Um, mm-hmm. So we're trying in different ways. We're not professionals at this, so it's a it's a very honest effort. Yeah, we always said, you know, it's it's not going to be a Picasso, but um, mm-hmm. we're we're definitely you know, trying to um, create those experiences, those fun experiences for people to where they can connect. My introduction to craft beer, like you, was the sense of camaraderie. Uh, com- that's one word I have trouble with. <laughs> camaraderie. Um, you know, beyond, beyond the beer, that was even more, uh, I think I would have stayed on to beer as a consumer based on the quality of the products and the wide ranges of styles and whatnot, uh, but to actually choose to leave my career and pursue a career in beer was was mostly for that stuff. Uh, and I'm fully aware that I, you know, benefited from my white privilege and, and, and whatnot, whether it be the levels of financing or being able to contact people in beer. Um, but... Uh, 
you know, we're truly hoping uh, to make our experience in beer synonymous with everyone's experience in beer. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been, I have to ask one question. I, I can't have an advanced Cicerone and not ask this. What would be, and I have to remove the beers from the brewery you work for, and just for sake mm -hmm. of conversation, we'll remove Sierra Nevada Pale Ale because, um, because that would be a, an easy answer. But what would you say, so two questions, what would be your, your perfect uh, or most um, uh, uh, sort of beer that, that works well with food in multiple scenarios? And what would be your, your desert, desert island beer? That was the old school Sorry, BOS question. The Bourbon County's hitting. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's a that's a tough one. So, um, in terms of like versatility, um, like that can pair with all different styles of beer. Uh, for me, is like the like the almost like the cheat answer. Like if you ever have to like write an exam and like create a food pairing, is that you know, I'd say eight times out of 10, like a Saison is going to do it for you, right? So Saison just has, um, you know, at just enough complexity, but still enough sessionability to be really versatile with pairing with beer. You have, um, you have like the spiciness of the Belgian yeast, you, you know, if, if it's something that's, you know, got a little bit of like an extra, like a bread and a funk and some like complexity to it, you're going to have a little bit of fruit to it. You're going to a high level of effervescence, which generally pairs really well with food. Um, uh, so, so saisons in general. Um, I gotta tell you, I, I haven't had like a a craft brewed saison that's like knocked me off my feet in like a few years. But um, I know I'm not supposed to say one from my own brewery, but Goose Island Sophie, I miss it dearly because it really was the perfect one for pairing with food. Um, uh, but you know, if you can get your hands on Dupont, like I'm, I, I consider myself like a classicist, right? Like I, 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 I joke that as a Cicerone, like you're classically trained. Um, so you're like, you're, you're trained on, on like, like, like the classics, like a musician, as you were saying, right? So like, you have like people who are like, like trained on, on, I consider myself kind of like classically trained when it comes to beer. So, uh, that is a style. And then, um, Oh, and then the other one I'd say, oh, Desert Island would be really tough. Um, it'd either be, oh boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I mean, there's some stuff that I like really have been like digging lately is like, I love, and I've loved for a long time. You can't get it often, but um, I, I like, like an Australian sparkling, sparkling ale Coopers. Um, is yeah. Like Cooper's. And that was the first time I ever had one was Cooper's. And that was also at the beer bistro. Um, and, uh, and, and, a, and it's not exactly the same, but a really lovely version of something that's close is, uh, is Anderson in Ontario have a New Zealand lager. And that was like a real go-to over the summer. And it's been a hot summer and it had, a lot of those kind of obviously new world characteristics to it didn't you know had that didn't have that like cooper sparkling you know yeast characteristic but it was pretty darn close and it's really refreshing it's really great um my all-time all-time probably favorite styles would be somewhere 
in like the fast beer Vienna lager. Mm. I, I'm a sucker for anything that's got some Munich in it. If it's got a little bit of like Munich chew, I'm a big, big fan of that. Um, so if I had to kind of uh, live the rest of my life drinking one style, it might be that. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I mean, lately I tell you, this is actually why I've been drinking when I wasn't drinking. I've been, uh, just <laughs> this pale ale, like not a non-elk, but I, you know, I've been big, big fan of, uh, of drinking non-elk pale ale. And okay. again, pairs really well with food. Um, honestly, I, I mentioned like IPA with carrot cake. I first time we ever did it wasn't mm. with an IPA. We did it with Sierra Nevada pale ale. And it was with my study group with Cicerone. And we got, like, you got to get, like, not fancy, like, boutique uh, carrot cake. You got to get, like, the greasy like from, like, the metro. <laughs> yeah, like, you got to get, like, the metro. Cheese dressing? <laughs> cream cheese dressing? Yeah, yeah, cream not? cheese. Cream cheese, yeah, cream okay. cheese. You know, right. um, if you go Costco mm. and you get, like, the big carrot cake with the little, like, little tiny carrots like that are in the in the frosting with the cream cheese on it okay nice greasy carrot Perfect. cake and what kind of IPA? with like so you want it to be like they're straight up like american, IPA. american ipa yeah like american ipa so you want like goose ipa lagunitas like you it will go well with sierra nevada pill too but get like your your like tried and true you know, if it's, you know, Ontario, like do it with Mad Tom, do it with like crazy Canuck, but like you want a straight up really solid classic American IPA and then like the greasiest carrot cake ever. And it's okay. so <laughs> good. I'm definitely, yeah. I'm a carrot cake guy, so I'm definitely trying that for Oh sure. yeah. It, yeah. It's absolutely. like, it's a, it's like a, it's a classic like Randy Mosher trick. So if anybody, again, anybody's ever like, Getting into the beer first time, tell him to read Tasting Beer by Randy Mosher. He's the, you know, that's 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 the first step. Okay. Um, and uh, and it's in the book, but IPA and carrot cake, and it's actually really good with that Harmon's Jack Pine. <laughs> <Pale Ale>. uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm doing and, a podcast. Uh, I'm doing a podcast in the coming weeks with a, uh, one of uh, a blog writer for for BOS, and he we're doing it on West Coast IPAs, and some of the best West Coast yeah. IPAs I've had in Canada are from Saint Kieran Baron, and they're just insane. So mm-hmm. I think for that episode, we're going to get the, we're going to get a couple uh, West Coast from uh, from Jacob from Saint Kieran, and we're going to get like I don't know like Headstock from Nickelbrook or Lone Pine from Sawdust or something, and have just like a bunch of them. And I think I'm going to tell Nate now, and they'll be like, "Yo, let's get a carrot cake." Go get that and we'll yeah, the carrot cake with the West Coast throughout the different styles of West Coast that we're going to have uh, in the pod. I think that would be amazing. They're probably a little more hectic than what you're referring to because they're going to be varying in ABVs and sort of thing. But I feel like we'll get the point. That sounds fun. Yeah. Like really good balanced IPA. Perfect meal for it is if you do like curry and chips okay. and like not too spicy of a curry, but you do like, you know, British style, like curry on like French fries. Did it last year with a couple of friends where you just have like curry and chips and then you have the carrot cake and you just drink IPA through the whole thing and it's absolutely Money. delicious. All right. <laughs> 
I heard a uh, beer guy here in Quebec, beer blogger, does radio spots as well. Uh, and he mentioned exactly that. It was doing, by the way, is my screen frozen with like some sort of, I'm no. seeing different screen. You look uh, uh, perfect right now. You're good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, but, um, yeah, he was saying just getting different uh, varieties of chips and go through for, for people just beginning in beer, if they're having a tasting, whatever, getting a wide variety of different ch uh, chips and just trying that with beer. And he was like, you can find your way. Maybe they're, they're not never going to be the perfect pairing, um, but they're a good anchor to to wet your feet and beer and, and, and flavor uh, food pairing kind of thing. So I thought that I'd never tried it myself, but I thought it was interesting. Hmm. Oh, like definitely. That. That's yeah. a great way to do it. I love that. Um, to, to sort of bring it home, this is, this has been fantastic. Uh, both you guys, this is like, I feel like this really gave people a, a solid picture of like where the beer scene's at and sort of what beer education can get you coming sort of back around to sort of how we started it off with, you know, we're, talking to potential people who might be interested in beer via link up or, or any other method. If somebody, particularly uh, by POC uh, who may be considering getting into beer, um, what would you say would be the most important things that people could do to get into beer? This kind of maybe for, for both you guys, like what could, what would be the most important thing for either people who are, I guess if you're watching this, you're already fucking into beer, aren't you? But okay. So say people are watching this and they, want to encourage their friends to get into beer? Like what would be the most mm -hmm. important thing that people can do, whether you're in the industry or not, to introduce somebody to beer or to encourage people to, not to drink, but you know, if they're already drinking, be like, hey man, well, have you tried this? You know, is there, is there anything that would be like best practices to most successfully introduce people in that, in that given that Sierra Nevada moment? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think even I, like what we, the conversation we just had around food, I think that's an incredible way to bring people into it, right? Pairings. So one of them is that it's pairings. Because what pairings do is that, again, if you like knock it out of the park with just a, a magical pairing that we know that, you know, makes the beer taste better, it makes the food taste better, that is an excellent way to do it. Um, especially if, you know, when somebody tells me they don't love IPA because probably somebody said like, oh, this beer is amazing and, you know, just gave it to them and they've never had anything that bitter before in their life and they've just been completely turned off of it and they don't love it, right? Um, you also, and you can also equate that to people who say like, I don't like blue cheese because blue cheese is too stinky or blue cheese is too pungent, right? What happens if you put blue cheese on a nice piece of toasted bread? with a little bit of like an apricot jelly, right? And, you know, you have that sweet and you have the bread that's going to, you know, go into pair with the malt of the beer and you have that sweet that's going to counteract the bitterness in the IPA. And then it also is going to quell the pungency of the blue cheese, right? And the bitterness in the IPA is going to do that as well. You've now taken someone who doesn't like IPAs or a person who doesn't like blue cheese and that pairing and what that pairing does is it cancels out the most kind of pungent or the most assertive things in both of those and cancels them out and allows all the other nuanced characteristics, right? Because like blue cheese is beautiful, right? It's like, it's earthy, it's mushroomy, it's slightly acidic, it's creamy, it's got this great texture to it, it's almost floral, 
right? But you, you, if you can't get past the pungency, you don't experience that. Same with IPAs. IPAs can be, you know, delightfully fruity and floral and, 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 and earthy and resinous. But if you can't get past the IBU, then you're never going to enjoy those things, right? So you can take this person who doesn't like blue cheese, or you can take this person who doesn't like IPA, but if you can find a way to like marry those things together, you can actually change somebody's mind mm. about how much they like it, right? So the food piece is like a really great way, right? If you're looking for an opportunity, if you have the opportunity to do that, the food piece is like really, really good. The other thing is, if you have the opportunity to introduce somebody to beer or to change their mind about beer, you have to care about them and what they're looking for and what they're going to enjoy. You have to ask questions. You have to make a meaningful recommendation based on the palette you have, which is the hundred different styles of beer that exist in the world and the one person who you're trying to change the mind for. So what do you normally like to drink? What do you like? What do you not like? And then let me find you something that is kind of within that laneway that is going to hopefully stretch your boundaries a little bit without turning you off. So part of it is just you have to be meaningful to that particular person. You have to care about what they need and the situation that they're in, the occasion that they're drinking in, and then connecting that with what you know about beer and beer styles and connecting those dots together. So I say that, you know, when we we're training retail employees, when we're training people who sell and serve beer, like bartenders and servers, is that you need to care about the guests and you need to understand the guests and you have to ask questions. You know, it's, um, it's almost just connecting the dots or like solving a mystery. Mm. And it's like if you can care enough about them and ask the right questions and you know enough about beer, you can really connect those dots together. And uh, so... Yeah, the food pairing piece, I think, is, is a great gateway to, you know, you know, to, to bringing people into to appreciating beer by the way it goes with food. And that's, for, for me, passion point. It's my favorite way to do it. It seems like yeah, the best think, way. Yeah, dude. Yeah, for me, I would say I would encourage people <coughs> to um, go out and visit local breweries. Um, just get a feel for the in individuality that goes into different beers and how they can be approached and interpreted. Um, and that sort of helps demystify, you know, the, the sort of one track mind some people may have about beer. Um, like, I, you know, growing up, just immersing myself in hip hop culture, I understood um, that there was there were many elements that made up the culture and not just music or not just b-boying or whatever um and i feel the same way about beer i feel like the pub culture is a bit lost and um a, a lot of it uh maybe so by craft brew craft craft beer in general not breweries per se i don't want to point a finger at any any specific entity but um i think it's been going online more and more and uh, we see people walking up at the brewery with their you know their phone up to you know with untapped open and untapped leads them to believe that all of our higher abv beers are best beers which couldn't be further from the truth um so i think sort of bringing back people to experience pubs, experience the individuality of each different breweries and uh, really realize how wide it can be and how differently it can be interpreted between uh, different spots. And those are usually something you can do during one afternoon or one evening or one weekend, you know. Uh, I think it's probably something we've all done at some point, traveling for beer and just 
um, taken part in the whole, ex the whole experience that any given brewery will, will give us. And um, that's definitely what brought me into the uh, craft beer industry. And so, um, yeah, it's something I've been preaching ever since, uh, I think. So, yeah, visiting local breweries, seeing how people approach styles and their own different individualities. And then I strongly encourage consumers to figure out what it is they like and don't like about every every different beer styles and or approaches. Love it. Absolutely. I think that individual piece of it is that if you understand what you like and what you don't like and the industry welcomes you for your particular unique, you know, set of like interests yeah. of like what you like and don't like, because, you know, if you want <clears throat> to grow inclusion, people need to feel included. Right. And so exactly. instead right. of offering, um, oh, this is the beer everybody likes. Oh, this is the beer that scored high on Untapped, or this is the beer that scored high on Beer Advocate. Well, it's like, well, who's on beer? Who's on Untapped and who's on Beer Advocate? It's probably like a lot of like five like percent of the people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what Absolutely. the what everybody likes, or what the you know the existing community likes, and the expectation that that's what everybody should like is not what's going to, you know, create a community of inclusion, right? So it's like, if we are asking questions, understand what people like and, you know, creating experiences where their interests and their likes and their dislikes are included in this and, and there's, and the opportunity is there, right? There's so much diversity of flavor in beer in our category, it means that we can welcome a diversity of palates and tastes and interests. And so if we can kind of open those gates up to each other, then that's yeah. how we create more inclusion and participation into the category. Money. That's well said. What a way to bring that home. It's exactly what I wanted. This is great. Guys, this has been fantastic. I mean, we were just shy of two hours, so we went uh, longer than I thought we would. And, and the conversation was – I think this was a really valuable uh, – chat guys i feel like this is something that if you're already into beer and you're watching or listening you know i hope you learn something and if you're maybe newer to it you know i hope it encourages you to sort of do those things you know try pairings try different breweries introduce friends to it um talk to people about it and, and get yourself educated if you even if you're just casually interested you know cicerone level one is what like 99 bucks and you know um you can do the BJCP just just to learn more, even if you just like as a hobby. There's there's a lot you know you can do just to take that hobby a little bit further. And you never know, you might never like Michelle and and have a full career, you know, ten almost ten year career in this. It's very unique, or you end up like Jacob and you end up owning a brewery. Like it's uh the possibilities are endless. So um, I think this has been uh, really eye opening. So thank you both very much. Uh, this is great. I almost I was thinking before I was like, yeah, we should do this like next year sometimes again. I think this would be like fun and. To sort of, these conversations to me are exciting. I think it's like it's intellectually stimulating to talk about things like this in beer that I feel like we all three, we get it. We all get it. We're all on board and then we're able to riff off it and, and be able to deliver some value that people can actually come away from listening to this or watching this and be like, and, and think about it and talk about it with other people, you know, like that's, that's I think what it's all yeah. about. It was very insightful and super interesting, Michelle. I was so looking forward to this and can't thank you enough for, for the time and sending the beer okay. and the glassware and everything. It was just a wonderful experience and uh, super grateful for it, honestly. Well, it's always very special 
thrilled for me to share bourbon canning stout with uh, with people who love and appreciate beer. So thank you for uh, you know creating the forum for it and for the great conversation and, and and inviting this type of conversation and putting it on a platform. Really appreciate it. Love it. It's an honor and a privilege. And uh, by the way, the, this beer, the way that it's opened up just over the last two hours has just been like impeccable. It's just it's this chocolatey, bourbon vanillary, just gloriousness. It's a, a genuinely spectacular product. And that is, you know, you can't be the OG unless you're the best. So I love it. I'm here for it. Uh, Sticker, I'm going to wrap this up now. Stick around after we'll, we'll wrap up uh, off air. But uh, Michelle, where can everybody find you online? Um, on Instagram, it's uh, Michelle Pham. Uh, that's T H A M dot beer. And that's probably the best way to reach me. And uh, if you have questions about beer, about drinking beer, learning about beer, entering the beer industry, you know, send me a message and I'm, I'm happy to uh, give whatever guidance I can. Amazing. Thank you so much. And Jacob, where can everyone find you and Saint-Kiam Baron? Uh, at Saint-Kiam Baron, uh, Facebook, Instagram. We stay off Twitter, whatever. Uh, so just uh, Facebook and Instagram, 5E Baron uh, is where you can find us. I love it. Um, oh, yeah, we need to get the, the thumbnail as well. Do you want to uh, maybe hold up the old bottle? I'm going to take a screenshot here. Oh, yeah, you see the vibes. You see the vibes. Here we go. Y'all ready? Glorious. Oh, you want to do it again? Wait, let me, yeah, let me check. Let me check. I, I'm trying to do your my parachute filled open face, and I fail miserably every time. Hey, look, it's a. You, you can do whatever makes you feel comfortable. It's a. It's an art. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's the dumbest thing ever. All right, right. Stunning. There we go. We got it. Um, all right, stick around. We'll I'll wrap this up and we'll, uh, we'll chat off it. Thank you both again. Everybody, thank you for watching and listening. I really hope you took something away from this one tonight. Uh, this, was, this is the reason we do this for, for conversations like this. It really makes, makes me happy. So thank you both once again. Everybody, thank you for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up, hit subscribe below, hit the notification bell so you know when the new news drops. Follow us everywhere at BAOS Podcast and, of course, at Link Up Beer. We drop every Wednesday at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, so stay tuned. Um, Link Up Series 4 is in effect. By the time you hear this, it'll be seri- It'll be week two of Series 4. Um, very exciting uh, beer dropping this week. It's a whole new thing for, for Link Up, so uh, please stay tuned to that. Um, we love you all. We'll see you next episode. Cheers, guys.